You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We got a chance to get back together, and they were really looking forward to it. And, and we're, the coaches are always looking forward to it. You know, they're our heartbeat, and, and uh, we miss them when we're, when we're away from each other. And, and, I, and we felt it reciprocate back from player to coach, which was nice. The energy was great. I mean, guys were flying around. Offense is getting better. Defense is getting better. So I mean, it was a uh, it was fun to get back on the field with all these guys. I, I will tell you this. I mean, we our guys are going to fight and they're going to fight their asses off to the end and, and play for each other and they're very unselfish guys. So I mean, we're we're excited. You know, we're and, uh, you know we're excited just to come out here Thursday and get our pads on. They clearly were locked in and and uh, like Coach said, um, uh, they were they were going to be away and 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 you're never off. So clearly they didn't just shut it completely off. They just went away, and uh, and and the retention was really really strong. And that's at the stage here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as you heard Bob Diaco and John Perella and JoJo, JoJo Doman just discussing coming back off spring break, and that's always hard to do. You know, when I first started covering um, spring ball years ago, I mean that they always would just do four straight weeks after spring break. Um, it's been kind of tradition the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years where they've broken it apart uh, with doing kind of half and half. And so Nebraska got back to work on Tuesday. They'll come back here Thursday and then Saturday. It's expected uh, Nebraska will have their first major scrimmage of the spring. And uh, usually you do two of those before the red-white game, and they're usually on the, on the two Saturdays um, leading up here to the April 15th red-white game. And you know, I think we get all these questions every week in, in you know, in our Red Sea Scrolls chats and other things. People want definitive answers. Well, these scrimmages, I think, are, are going to give us a lot of these answers. We're going to get all the answers, Robin. Uh, but I think just getting a chance to see the offensive line in more live situations in a scrimmage, the running backs, the quarterbacks, the, the defensive front, the Joshua Kalu move. I mean, there are so many things. Um, that you know, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, when we get to see these scrimmages. Yeah, it's gonna be the first chance to actually get to see some real football, and you know, obviously they're gonna probably limit how much they tackle to the ground and you know how much actual hitting is going on. But uh, for, you know, for the first time, it's not just gonna be seven on sevens quarterbacks thrown against air. You know, I mean, there will be a pass rush. You know, there will be running the ball between the tackles, uh, and so those are the types of things where, like you said, you can really learn a lot more. Than what we've been able to gather, you know, through the first you know two weeks or so of spring practice. I mean, I, I'm I'm excited for it. Um, there's still a lot of questions. Uh, it goes without saying that need to be answered here, uh, especially on the trenches on both sides of the ball. So I think that we'll get um, some more answers, um, especially over these next two Saturdays heading into the spring game. Well, there's so many in the practices that we've been able to watch. There's so many times where you don't know exactly, especially right away, you don't know exactly what the the point of that period is. You know, is it situational? Uh, yeah, it's all situational. Yeah, is and so and and that goes for both sides of the football. So when when the offense is working on inside run, the, the defense is also working on defending an inside run. So some, a lot of times it's kind of hard to to get any major takeaways from that when both when both uh, sides of the football know what's happening, know what's coming, and, and are, are working on things. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see these scrimmages. I think we'll get a lot better uh, feel for rotation, where guys are at on the on the, uh, the quote-unquote depth chart, and uh, just a, an over, better overall feel for the team in general. Well, and the quarterbacks, too, um, they've looked good. Both of them have. In fact, Mike Riley, you know, before practice on Tuesday, was just talking about how before spring break, both these guys completed well over 90% of their practice their passes in a practice like I'm talking like 29 of 30 28 of 30 type numbers uh, where both Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien have been highly efficient and we've seen that but how will that look with the pass rush how will that look with movement of the front on defense and different coverage schemes uh, there's just some things like Nate hinted at that you know you can't really tell when you know what's coming but when you're in a scrimmage there's going to be just situations thrown at these quarterbacks, the offensive line, et cetera, uh, that we're going to learn more, I think, about you know how these guys react under pressure. 
Yeah, I mean, it's easy to complete 90% of your passes on throwing against air. I mean, that. Well, even in seven on in seven, on seven you should probably complete But them. even then, I mean, you're sitting in the pocket with comfortable no rush. and you can just evaluate things with no pressure. I mean, yeah, that, that's going to change everything. And um, you even add things, you know, got defensive linemen putting their hands up. You got, you know, more linebackers. You know, I mean, there, there's all sorts of different things that, um, you, know, f- you know, blitz looks, you know, you know, disguise blitzes, coverage disguises. I mean, there's all sorts of different things that are going to uh, be added to the table for these quarterbacks, you know, going forward here. And, um, you know, I think that we'll, we'll probably still see um, some pretty impressive results, but, you know, it's going to be very interesting to watch how that changes um, the performance that we've seen thus far, you know, in some of the non-padded practices uh, when things actually get kicked up for real now. Yeah, and that's not to diminish the work that they've done so far because they have been impressive. But, I, yeah, I agree. I think they're, they're, their true colors will really come out when, the, when the, the bullets are live, so to speak. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washa, and Nate Klaus. As we get you geared up here, as spring practice is back in session. Uh, they will be Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday here, all the way until April 15th. That will be the red-white spring game. That is set for a 1 p.m. kickoff um, in Memorial Stadium. Um, over 55,000 seats have been sold. Um, they're kind of ahead already of last year's pace. Uh, the game will be aired v- via tape delay on Big Ten Network at 4 p.m., NET will also air it on Sunday at 2, so uh, plenty of opportunities to see the game. It's just going to be a couple-hour tape delay, and I I really have no problem with that. I I, I guess I'm in the camp where a spring game being live on TV does nothing for me. Yeah, I mean, basically... Have it on TV, but it doesn't necessarily need to be live. I mean, it's not like this is like a live game. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, especially for most people. that The real diehards are going to DVR it anyway and then just watch it on loop (laughs) time and again. So uh, it doesn't really matter when it airs, but the fact that it is airing, you know, on a essentially nationally televised network um you know still still pretty good value there i think if it's live you almost kind of hurt your you hurt your attendance a little bit especially good for point. for people who are you know driving an hour or two away to come to the game you know i've i've heard and, and seen people talk about driving from sydney scott's bluff shattering to come to the game well if it's live and then they may be less apt to, to travel clear across the state to go to a spring game. So uh, I like that, that it's on TV. I don't care if it's live or not. I well, actually then, kind of prefer that it's not live. When it is live, then you have like all these like, oh, we got to get off the air by three, you know, and, and they, they yeah. kind of put a gun to your head to finish the game and, and do a running clock or, you know, do something crazy uh, to speed the game. So it'll be tape delayed on BTN and, you know, hopefully the weather's going to be a lot better than what the current 10 day forecast is showing. Cause it's been just kind of miserable the last few days. And it looks like it's going to be kind of on and off miserable um, going forward. So hopefully the weather uh, will, will clear up. You know, one other thing I wanted to bring up here guys um, about Bob Diaco and this defense, um, you get the sense when you talk to these defensive coaches, Bob Diaco, John Perella, they're going to play things really close to the vest with their scheme, Robin. And you were in on the uh, post-practice interview on Tuesday with Diaco where you know somebody asked him about how the coverage was lined up against the receivers and the receivers were talking about it. And, and he almost acted like upset yeah. that the receivers were divulging the looks and things about his defense. Yeah, I think the more and more we talk to Bob Diaco, the more and more intense he gets. I mean, we knew that was kind of part of his mantra to go going into it, but it hasn't taken long to see just how like dialed in and kind of a bunker mentality this guy has uh, when it comes to football. Um, you know, he doesn't want to get into any specifics about what they're doing schematically, um, not even if it's you know in just the simplest of, of practice drills. I mean, he's going to give you very vague answers um even when it's just kind of softball questions just and i think that's just kind of part of his makeup i mean he's a guy that is you know dialed up to 100 uh in everything he does and so the idea that you're going to get him to sit down and uh, you know break down some of his his favorite coverages to run uh i mean that that's not going to happen and so he's not going to tell you much of anything exactly the good news is we found that bob elliott is probably one of the best sources you can go (laughs) along with dante williams yeah dante williams is great but you know i mean if if the defensive coordinator is not going to tell you you know stuff about his defense at least you have his you know career mentor that's going to at least give you something and what's funny a guy like elliott when he was at kansas state and iowa the coordinators and assistant coaches really don't do interviews at either of those two programs. I mean, they really keep the media away. So I'm sure Elliot's probably doing more interviews now than he's ever done in his career. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was an interesting interview and it was almost like he was, 
um, he was enjoying being able to explain the responsibilities of some of the the players, especially in that secondary, that safety and corner um, that they have in the in the defense. So he was he was more than happy to kind of talk about um, you know some of the recent moves and, and changes that they've done and and why they've done that and and how those players kind of fit into those roles. And speaking of those changes and moves, when we come back, we're going to start off our discussion with that as Joshua Kalu is playing safety, Lamar Jackson, now number one corner. We'll give our thoughts on that and some other spring storylines next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, it was just, you know, pretty much a meeting at the minds, you know, Coach Diaco, Coach Elliott, myself, you know, uh, Coach Riley, it was just pretty much just a collection of, of things that just looking at other combinations of players just to make sure we make sure we're getting the best players on the field. It's not to say that it's all done right now, but, you know, we're just trying different things and see what works and see what gels as a unit and, you know, try to get the best guys on the field together. We grade every player, every play, every day. Uh, in doing that, we're trying to be sure that we have our best players on the field most and then how long they can play and how well they can play in the in the structure and in the call will then determine how long. It looks like Josh and some others um, needed to maybe just take a look at another position to see just how many good players we can get on the field at one time. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as you just heard Corners coach Dante Williams and defensive coordinator Bob Diaco discussing the move of Joshua Kalu, the longtime corner, now back to safety. And really, I think this move, guys, has as much to do with Lamar Jackson as it does with Joshua Kalu. And I think when you look at this secondary right now, there are three guys that are the best players right now. Chris Jones, Joshua Kalu, and Aaron Williams. Then you get down to that fourth spot. You've got several guys, Antonio Reed, JoJo Doman, Lamar Jackson, etc. And it's like, who's the best guy of that group? And I think it's pretty clear right now they think it's Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear. In fact, uh, you know, Bob Elliott said as much. He said that, you know, Lamar kind of forced the issue a little bit with how well he's been playing this spring. And um, when you have that luxury to t- remove a two-year starter at cornerback to safety, and feel just as good about the guy replacing him, uh, I mean, that, that's pretty good luxury to have. And, um, you know, kind of looking forward to what this means for, for Kalu, I think it's actually a pretty good fit. Uh, for one, I would argue he may be Nebraska's best ball-hawking defensive back. I mean, just as far as, you know, making plays on the ball. Two, he's maybe one of their best open-field tacklers. And so you combine those two traits, uh, I mean, that's pretty good, uh, you know, skill set to have at safety. So, um, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And especially with this, you know, staff's, you know, clear, um, you know, point that they're going to get, you know, do whatever they can to get the 11 best players on the field. And if that means, like I said, removing a, uh, you know, two year starter and changing the positions for, you know, a true sophomore, then so be it. Well, and the other thing I think it not only helps Nebraska, but it might help Kalu in the future um, with his NFL prospects because he's now going to be able to show that he could play corner he could play safety just that versatility he could be a nickel he's done a little bit of everything in college but that the one thing that was hammered home after practice on Tuesday was that they are all about getting the top 11 players on defense um, on the field at the same time and that especially in the secondary they want the top four guys back there and 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 Bob Elliott said he said if if Lamar Jackson is one of the best and Joshua Clue are one of the best and they're playing the same position, we had to look at moving one of those guys around. And it made a lot of sense, given Kalu's background as a nickel and as a corner, to play that field safety because they are asked to, to cover slot receivers at times. And um, and, and the, I think a lot of it is it's all about the rise of Lamar Jackson and, and really him kind of starting to come into his own and become – the type of player that I think a lot of Nebraska fans expected him to be from the second he stepped on campus. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show as we discuss the moves here in the secondary. And, you know, I get this question, Nate, all the time. Well, in recruiting, rivals had Lamar Jackson, the number one safety in the nation. So why is Lamar Jackson not playing safety? <laughs> I just, you know, I like, well, first of all, the coaches don't care what we think at rivals. They make their own evaluations um, when they decide where a guy fits best. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the 
the scheme that you run is going to dictate where you play or what type of player fits in best at whatever position that might be. So at Rivals, yeah, they had him as a safety largely because that's what he played in high school. He played uh, some safety. He even played some linebacker in, in high school. He was the team's quarterback. He, he really didn't play any corner uh, specifically in his high and school career. And that's pretty common because if you have a guy at corner, usually teams are going to throw exactly. away from that side where safety allows you to be involved in every play on the field. Yeah, you put your best player at your at the most important positions. And a lot of times that, that means that you're going to be playing a lot of quarterback because you touch the football every time and maybe a lot of a lot of safety because you can kind of be that center fielder back there who who's coming down making plays or who can run sideline to sideline and, and be a ball hawk back in the back end so uh, he never really played corner so that's why he wasn't really rated as a cornerback uh, coming out of high school you're listening here to the Husker online show Sean Callahan Robin Washett Nate Klaus as uh, we discuss some of the moves here made uh, on Nebraska here in the secondary. And I don't know if there's going to be any other moves. I mean, we'll probably get a better idea that Saturday um, if they're going to try some other moves out there. But um, a lot of position battles still up for grabs, Robin. Questions still remain at that offensive line, at tackle, both right and left. Center, uh, I think, still is a question. The depth at tight end. I mean, you can go down the list. Who's the running backs that are going to be the key guys? Is Ozigbo a factor, or is it Trey Bryant, Mikael Wilbon? I mean, we could do a whole show on still the major questions that surround this team at key areas. And I think that was something that we knew was going to happen going in. I mean, there were just far too many major question marks at so many different spots uh, for, for us to get firm answers, you know, let, uh, by the end of spring, let alone halfway through it. So um, uh, the good news is, you know, like we, we've mentioned, you know, the, 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 the next couple Saturdays here leading into the spring game, I think are going to at least help us take a few steps towards answering some of those questions. But um, most of those, you know, the, the, the long list you mentioned, uh, the, a lot of those aren't going to get answered until, uh, you know, on into through the summer, into fall camp, and maybe even not even until the first game, uh, just because, I mean, there's some serious issues that Nebraska still needs to address this offseason. And I feel like the, the coaching staff kind of wants it that way. I mean, obviously, you'd like to have some some answers at, at, at a handful of different spots right now at this point in time. But at the same time, I feel like they're they're comfortable with so much competition going on because uh, guys are actually out there fighting for their jobs each and every rep. Uh, they're they're taking extra steps away from the practice field, you know, whether it be in the in the film room or in the training room or whatever to to uh, uh, you know learning the playbook to get better at and, and improve as a player. So I, I think this competition that that is going on pretty much across the board on both sides of the football is is a good thing for this team. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Um, as, as we make our way here to those that first kind of big scrimmage, hopefully we'll see here uh, on Saturday. And, you know, and, and even the quarterback competition, I think most of us sitting here assume it's Tanner Lee. But uh, Mike Riley even said so much to me Tuesday. I mean, this has been fun, just keeping this thing open. Um, it's made Patrick better. And, and that's how I was able to find out those passing numbers. I mean, Patrick O'Brien was like 28 to 29 one day in practice. And I think just having that feel of competition um, that nothing's decided is, is going to make guys better, especially at some of those key positions. Yeah, on the field, there really hasn't been that much separation, in my opinion, between Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien. But the one kind of, I guess, determining factor that you know makes me think Tanner Lee is the guy is just that kind of presence, the, that that veteran confidence he has to him that just quite frankly, Patrick hasn't had the chance to get yet. Um, you know, I mean, he's just, Tanner's a kid that's already started two years of Division One football. I mean, he, he knows the game and um, just kind of has that, that swagger to him. And I think naturally, from a leadership standpoint, guys kind of gravitate to that. Um, you know, they, they, it, it doesn't take long for your teammates to kind of identify, you know, who's who's a natural leader. And I think Tanner's a natural leader. I mean, he just has that the, those intangibles, you know, that you know, go well beyond passing statistics, you know, throwing motion, all that stuff. And so I think when when all is said and done, that is probably going to be maybe the deciding factor between who wins this job because, um, you know, Patrick's been playing his butt off and it's been very close with you know the actual on the field stuff but i think it's that that next step of being a quarterback at this level that's going to you know work in favor in tanner 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more there, Robin, with a lot of what you're saying. I I feel like one thing that I've been really impressed with Patrick O'Brien is the fact that he's met this challenge head on because I think coming into the, the spring, a lot of people, you know, in the media, a lot of people, even, you know, like Billy Devaney's comments on signing day uh, would lead you to believe that it was Tanner Lee's job to lose. And, and uh, yet this redshirt freshman came in ready to try and win it. And, and his body language has been very good. He's, he's probably learned a lot of things from Tanner Lee this spring, even though he has a lack of experience. Uh, I, I think that he's probably picked up a lot from Tanner Lee and, and, uh, and he's, I think he's doing a heck of a job in this quarterback battle. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball. Some major shakeup here happened on Wednesday as Ed Morrow Jr. decided to leave the program. We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on that as lots of questions now surrounding Tim Miles in that Nebraska basketball program. That's all next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett as big changes going on here in the Nebraska basketball program. Uh, they, you know, they had their normal kind of off-season attrition. A couple guys like Dry Horn, Nick Fuller. Not big shockers. I mean, Dry Horn, if you're a casual fan, might have been a surprise. But the bombshell that dropped here on Wednesday night, Ed Morrow Jr., a legacy player to Nebraska. Both of his parents attended here. Um, you know, he kind of was a core guy on, on Tim Miles' basketball team announced late Wednesday evening that he was leaving the Nebraska basketball program. It's unknown where he'll go, but it, it just caused a ripple effect of negativity um, just with the way the season ended. And then now three transfers, Robin. Um, it, it's kind of hard to put words into this last one. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the first two were not unexpected. And um, I think, you know, most people saw the writing on the wall, certainly with Nick Fuller. And then, you know, when you kind of look into it a little deeper with Jariah Horn. Uh, but this one, this one's different. Uh, like you mentioned, the, there was a lot of layers to this that made this a total shock to a lot of different people, myself included. Um, Ed was one of the core guys of that 2015 class. I mean, he and Glenn Watson were the centerpieces of Tim Miles's building of the future for this program. Um, you know, he was he was the obviously he made his name out in Chicago, but um, in a lot of ways, I mean, this this is a guy that is entrenched in your program. You know, going back generations. You know, his dad played football here. His mom was a star basketball player here. His aunt played basketball here. He was born and raised in Lincoln. Uh, and so for, for this to happen two years into his career at Nebraska, it raises a lot of red flags, and I get it. I mean, this is there's, the reaction to this news has been far different. I mean, maybe the Andrew White deal, but um, I think, you know, the, the way that that thing kind of drug out over the course of months um, changed the dynamic of that. This one, the fact that it came totally out of the blue, um, really, it, it twists the knife uh, for a lot of Nebraska fans. And um, you know, going back, you know, just a few weeks ago, you know, I was told by head coach Tim Miles himself that they were not expecting any further transfers. Uh, and you got I mean, it's funny people on the Red Sea Scrolls are jumping you about that. But I mean, you're, what are you supposed to do there? Yeah. Like, no, no, Coach Miles, there's going to be one more. Yeah, I mean, and the report was that they don't expect any more transfers. And obviously, that's always a fluid situation. But that came after a week's worth of individual one-on-one -on -one meetings where every other player, not named Jariah Horn and Nick Fuller, told them that they were planning on coming back next season. And so um, from what I've been able to piece together, what happened was Ed told Tim that he's coming back and he, would, he plans to finish his career at Nebraska. He goes home for spring break. Things change, and that happens a lot. I mean, this isn't just a Nebraska thing. That happens all over the course of college basketball. I mean, you, there's the transfer uh, total is already over 300 names already, and that's just getting started. So, I mean, this is not just a Nebraska-specific epidemic. But, again, what changes this whole thing is just the, the how deep-rooted – Ed Morrow was not only you know with you know, Nebraska as a whole, but um, with his role in this program. I mean, he he was a guy that, like I said, was one of the centerpieces of kind of everything Tim Miles was building here. And uh, for that to suddenly jump ship like this, um, it's it's a definite cause for concern. Now you're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we discuss the the latest departure here in the Nebraska basketball program and Ed Morrow Jr. That was the glass half empty. A take. 
I'm going to give you a glass half full take here on Ed Morrow. This is a guy that has got really bad feet. You know, he hasn't been able to really play consistent minutes. Um, when he does play, we know what kind of guy he is. But there's questions about his durability. Uh, Copeland coming up the ranks, a five-star power forward. Roby's development. Jacobson's already here. And, and then Jordy Shimonga's development. Um, and he was a guy that wasn't a great clutch free throw shooter. I think it was the Wisconsin game where mm-hmm. he had a shot. If you, I think he makes this one, they might win that game. Uh, and he missed both of them down the stretch. But, um, you know, it is a loss. There's no doubt about it. But it, it will be interesting to see physically his body. Um, you know, can he can he hold up? I mean, there, there's some questions about that. But maybe sitting out a year and transferring could be good for him. Yeah, and, you know, that may have gone into his decision. But... Uh, like you said, this is a kid that has not been healthy since the day he set, no, no pun intended, foot on campus. Uh, you know, he got hurt the summer before his freshman year, um, you know, from working out too hard because he had never really done serious weight training in his life. Uh, and that set him back. Um, and then, you know, he kind of wore down at the end of uh, his freshman year, missed significant time, you know, with that lingering foot injury that never really recovered. Uh, and then going into this year, it finally looked like he was, you know, back ready to roll. And then they, you know, get four games into Big Ten play, and he injures the uh, the same foot in a different spot uh, and misses seven games. So, I mean, this is something that is becoming, you know, an unfortunate pattern with him is his inability to stay healthy. Um, and that's kind of been the one caveat with him is uh, when he's healthy or at least close to it, he was really, really good for Nebraska. I mean, you don't average 9.4 points and 7.5 rebounds and not be a good player. So, um, but unfortunately, he just couldn't stay on the court long enough. And um, you know, I think one of the issues with why he wanted to leave was, for one, I think he felt he was playing out of position. I mean, you know, Nebraska was basically forced to play him at the five. He's not a five. He's got to play as a six ten guy, and he's really six seven. Yeah. Basically, I mean, he had to play that role because he was their toughest guy. I mean, regardless of only being six seven, um, he was one of the few guys physically that could match up with Big Ten bigs. So um, that was an issue, and then also the sporadic playing time. But you know, when you look at it, a lot of that sporadic playing time was for one, he was, you know, had battling injuries over the past two years. Two, he had a real hard time staying out of foul trouble. And so, I mean, it kind of, you know, it works both ways. Yeah, maybe he could have played more, but uh, he also, you know, could have done more on his end to, to see more playing time and so more more consistent playing time. So it's, uh, you know, it's one of those it's one of those deals that, you know, if you take all the emotion out of it, you take the, the Nebraska t- legacy ties, it's, you know, not not all that unusual from what we see every year uh, in the offseason in college basketball. But unfortunately, you can't take those away. And the, the fact that you, you look at a team that, um, you know, Ed had such an important role on uh, and now all of a sudden that's gone. And the way that it happened, uh, the fact that he told Tim Miles, you know, just a couple weeks before that he was planning on staying and then all of a sudden changes his mind two weeks later. Uh, you know, that there, there definitely seems to be something more to it that we just don't know yet. Now, there's been some crazy speculation, Robin, uh, that Creighton could be a possible destination for Ed Morrow Jr. Please assure Nebraska basketball fans are not going to have to read about Ed Morrow Jr. playing for Creighton next year. Well, they did recruit him out of high school, um, and maybe, you know, that, that talk kind of got uh, – started by Creighton probably putting out a feeler you know I mean why wouldn't you want a guy like that I mean I think that he would actually fit pretty well they've had really good luck with transfers as as you know I mean they've had two all big east players basically come in as transfers and Foster and um, Watson exactly so I mean I'm sure there's something to that how serious um, you know that interest is on as far as Ed's concerned you know I I don't know Um, I know some other schools that you know have immediately shown interest Iowa State um, you know, they Iowa actually recruited Ed. You know, I think he was they were number two on his list when all was said and done. Um, but I know Iowa State has definitely uh, immediately uh, started to get you know put out feelers and um, figure out where things stand. And obviously their their transfer history uh, makes that kind of a natural choice. Um, and then obviously you know there's every school around Illinois could probably use a big like Ed. So he's going to have a lot of different options. I mean you're not you're not a player of that caliber. Especially uh, this effort level that he plays with. Exactly. So the only real thing with him is his injury history. And with a year to just kind of get healthy, that may be the best thing for him, like you mentioned earlier. As we wrap it up here, Robin, um, Tim Miles, no contract extension yet. And that was a big topic of discussion um, in some newspaper published reports that it wasn't the standard industry um, or industry standard to, yeah. to, to not let a basketball coach have at least, what, four years yeah. on a contract? Four, to four minimum. And uh, Miles went into the year with three. Yeah. And well, so, right now he's got 
three left. Three left. So if he coaches, then he'd have two left after this next year. Right. Which, I mean, they've said he's coming back, but what does that say if they don't add on a rollover year on that contract and he goes into the year after this season with only two more years left? Yeah, I think it's kind of self-explanatory right now. Um, you know, I mean, it, it would be a really bad look right now uh, to give Tim Miles a contract extension. <laughs> We're going four more years. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think you just let this thing play out. And I think that's been Sean Eichhorst's mentality from basically... And I think Nebraska fans going. respect that a whole heck of a lot more than, than just throwing away money. Right, I mean, just some facade extension that everybody knows because we saw it with Bo Pelini the, when exactly. Tom Osborne was here he extended Bo Pelini kind of to stick it to Icors I think a little bit at the end by getting giving him another year um, because that was his guy he hired and it, you know then Nebraska had to obviously pay Bo Pelini um, those additional years that he got rolled over um, when everybody knew Icors's plan was probably to fire Bo Pelini yeah exactly and the plan here obviously is for Tim Miles basically to you know coach for his job next season and it's not an ideal um, situation for anybody. Um, you know, this is going to put a lot of pressure on Tim Miles and his staff, and that's going to reflect onto the players. And um, you know, then the, the recruiting standpoints. You know, there's going to be negative recruiting that goes along with that. Uh, so, I mean, it's 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 not a good deal by any stretch of the imagination. But there's there's no way Nebraska can possibly extend Tim Miles right now. Um, I mean, they just got to let this thing continue to play out and just kind of keep their fingers crossed that things don't get worse. And at this point, I don't know. I mean, uh, I didn't expect Ed Morrow uh, at all, but uh, it happened. So, I mean, who's to say that Moore's not coming? I don't know. Uh, it, there, there seems to be, um, you know, just a, a day-to-day approach here that you you don't know what's next for Nebraska. Uh, when's the the next shoe going to drop? So, we'll we'll see how it plays out. But I think at this at this point, you know, they're just going to roll into next year with whatever they can get and uh, hope for for some sort of magical turnaround to you know reestablish some faith in what Tim Miles is doing. Well, we didn't even get into the recruiting this week and we can save that discussion for next week's show i'll as, put some stuff in tunnel talk how about that um no tunnel talk this week oh well um, never mind <laughs> but we uh we will get more in, i mean we just ran out of, we had to go all at tomorrow this week but we'll, we'll cover plenty of recruiting as a lot's going to shake out another scholarship available but uh when we come back we got to take your questions in the mailbag and there may be a basketball recruiting question in there so uh, we'll take those questions next you're listening here to the husker online show This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I love it. You know what? I mean, truly, you know what? That's the one thing about I've always appreciated about when Al Davis was alive was uh, his willingness to be different and be the, you know, be that rebellious team, that the rebels. And and, uh, I love that about him. I love that. I thought he was a, you know, he was always good to me, good to my family. And and, uh, and I just wish him the best. Mark's doing a great job, Mark Davis. And and, uh, I just wish those guys the best. I'm fired up to go see him play. I'm not a big Vegas guy. I'm not into gambling and all that kind of crap, but but, uh, but you know, I love the Raiders. It's going to be awesome. I wish it was next year. they got to wait now. What, three years? Yeah, well, come on. It's only $1.9 billion. I mean, come on. Boy, if you want to get John Perella to talk and be in a great mood, just talk about the Raiders with the guys. Sean Callahan here, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus back on the Husker Online Show. I asked Perella on Tuesday his thoughts on the Raiders. You know, because he finished his NFL career, um, you know, in Oakland playing for Al Davis's Oakland Raiders uh, for his final three seasons and, and just loved his time there. They were in a Super Bowl, and he's a big fan of the move to Las Vegas. So um, that was uh, interesting just to hear his take. But this is that time of the show. It's the mailbag. Unfortunately, we are without our intern, Matt Reynoldson. Um, he's got a conflict today. So I'm going to do my best uh, to get uh, through the, the mailbag here um, with some of the questions as, as we'll debate um, all these questions out of the gate. Um, let, let's see. Here's one. Hello, Matt. Thanks for doing the mailbag every week. I have heard both Coach Miles and Coach Erstad like to schedule harder than standard out-of-conference opponents to test the push of their prospective teams before conference begins. Do you feel this approach has hurt them by putting them behind in the win column before starting the conference schedule? Has this played a part in both of them being listed on the hot seat in the last few years? Well, as far as basketball is concerned, it definitely puts you at a disadvantage, especially uh, when you don't necessarily have the roster equipped to compete with a diff- more difficult schedule, which definitely was the case for Nebraska last year. Um, and so, I mean, there's different schools of thoughts about that. Um, obviously, um, 
you know, when you have you play better teams, um, not only do your losses not look as bad, uh, you have the opportunity to pick up some pretty substantial wins that can look really good on a potential like the Dayton win at one yeah, time this year on a potential tournament resume. But uh, the problem with that is uh, you're putting yourself at risk for not even being in the discussion for postseason play because of your overall record, which again was what Nebraska fell into. So, um, you know, I, I think. The, 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 we talked about the Nebraska situation with basketball. I mean, obviously they didn't have quite the roster they thought they were going to get, and things just completely turned into a disaster. But I think in general, I like that approach. I mean, I, I would much rather Nebraska play a schedule like that than play Southwest Missouri Tech and Louisiana, you know, A and M, uh, and get you know twelve wins out of the gates, and then completely be a disaster in conference play. I, I think. It's good to test your team, maybe not quite to the extent that they did last year, but you got to give yourself some legitimate challenges. Uh, that's what the best of the best do. Um, that's why they play all those, you know, tournaments where you got, you know, yeah, that's could, the game changer. Those those conference, yeah. those early tournaments, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas. I mean, you can really, you know, this year was maybe the toughest one we've ever seen Nebraska play. In. Yeah. So uh, there's a there's a fine line in doing that. I mean, you you have to be able to have the horses to com- you know compete with a, a schedule like that, but. Uh, at the same time, you know, you also got to give yourself a chance to to have a resume strong enough when it comes to picking, you know, your school over another uh, for a potential tournament bid. I like it. I, I like it a lot. Um, it helps you build your RPI. Uh, but yeah, you have to be smart about it though, because you have to know what type of team you have, and and you better not go schedule a heck of a out of conference, um, you know, schedule here if you know that your team is going to be young and inexperienced, and and uh, or if you're going to have some some glaring weaknesses, because you can then you can really start off uh, behind the eight ball. But for the most part, um, I like it. I, I, it's always been the approach that Darren Erstad has taken with his teams is to try and build that RP. PI up and then and, and get some experience facing some tough tough competition before. And this year they've played the number play. one and number two teams in the RPI: Oregon State and Arizona. Mm-hmm. And they've so, beaten Arizona exactly. So um, now the theory is you, you go and take care of some business and conference play, and you're going to be sitting pretty pretty well here. Uh, so I like it for the most part, but you do have to know what type of team you've got. Well, and first of all. Questions that Erstad's on the hot seat. I, I still don't buy that. I mean, the guy's made the no. NCAA tournament two out of three years. Because he lost a couple of early season series, the guy's on the hot seat. Uh, I don't know. It, it really grinds my gears. Um, <laughs> you know, because the baseball team has played well, winning three out of four at Cal Poly. They just blasted the doors off Kansas State. Now they have a big conference series at Indiana against a team with a top 30 RPI. So that will be big to see. Next question here. In the mailbag, what are the strengths and the weaknesses in this tight end group right now? Well, I really like Tyler Hoppus's ability as a receiver. Um, I think that's going to be one thing that you know fans are going to be pleasantly surprised with. Obviously, you lose a guy like Ethan Carter, it's very difficult to match an athlete like that. But you know, Tyler, uh, he's going to be better than a lot of people give him credit for. I mean, you don't get praise from your offensive coordinator when you're like fourth or fifth on the depth chart the way he did uh, from Danny Langsdorf last year. Um, so I mean, the, the coaches are very high on him, uh, and I think that you know that's going to be one thing that you know might be. Uh, an advantage Nebraska has that people don't necessarily think about, but um, you know, the disadvantages, obviously inexperience. I mean, you're talking about a complete sweep uh, of the entire depth chart uh, with guys that have never played any significant football in Nebraska now being elevated to your first, second, and even third string. So, I mean, there's, there's going to be a very quick learning curve that these guys are going to have to undergo uh, in order to be battle tested, you know, for, you know, a pretty difficult schedule uh, coming up this season. Yeah. I mean, the, the things that I take away from the tight end group right now are, are they have got some decent receivers with Tyler Hoppus, um, you know, even a Matt Snyder, uh, David Inglehop has even kind of started to emerge as a guy. Um, they're all athletic. They're all very athletic and catch the football, but um, the, the physical presence in the run game is something that I kind of worry about and, and would probably point to as a weakness right now. I don't know if they have a guy that um, that they can necessarily count on as being um, you know a dominant blocker when they need him to be uh, especially when they go in a heavy tight end set you know do they have two or three um, blockers that they can really rely on in the run game that's probably my biggest question because for as athletic
athletic as Seathan Carter was, um, he was equally as impressive as a run blocker for the majority of his career too. So they're definitely going to miss that aspect of uh, you know losing all those tight ends from last year's roster. All right, we're running out of time here, so we got to kind of give shorter answers if we can. Um, here as we take your questions in the mailbag, Nate, a couple of recruiting ones for you. Um, which recruit over the last five years do you still wonder how he did not end up at Nebraska? Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's a tough one. Um, well, Jameer Calvin this year. Yeah. Well, won. yeah. I mean, Jameer Calvin. Um, you know, you've got you've got. I think ones that sting are the ones that you lost to to uh, other sports. So, you know, Monte Harrison above a Starling. Uh, both those guys really hurt. Um, you know, because you you kind of count on those guys almost. But um, you know, guys that guys that sting that that. Uh, that you definitely got well, away. Josh Freeman and Blaine Gabbard in another era. Yeah, I mean, in another two, era. Two first rounders from St. Louis in Kansas City as quarterbacks. I mean that that one always will linger yeah, f- in my mind for sure. Um, you know, and, and maybe a guy who who could have been a program changer uh, and set things on a different course was a Mark Sanchez when they. Um, you know, I'm not saying they would have gotten Mark Sanchez, but they took uh, they kind of put both those guys on the spot uh, with Harrison Beck and Mark Sanchez and said, okay, we're taking one guy, and whoever takes that spot first is is the guy. And Sanchez was set to schedule or set to visit that weekend, and uh, Harrison Beck went ahead and committed. So um, who knows what could have happened there. Last question here in the mailbag for all three of us. Briefly describe your first Memorial Stadium game day experience. How old were you? Who were you with? And what do you remember? Robin? Well, my first one was back in 1994 for Nebraska's home game against Wyoming when Brooke Behringer led Nebraska to a closer-than-expected victory despite suffering a collapsed lung. And the, the funny twist of that is my dad's a native of Wyoming, and so he used some of his uh, you know ties to sit, get his tickets uh, in the Wyoming uh, visitor section and in front of us were these two big old cowboys like legitimate cowboys with the hats and the long leather jackets and there was no smoking allowed in the stadium and these dudes bust out these big old cigars and just start going to town on them and like these like timid little usher comes up and tries to tell them to put him out the, the reaction on the those cowboys faces was hilarious i'll never forget it and they were like you mean to tell me i can't smoke my cigar <laughs> oh, i'll never forget it'll be then it'll be entrenched in my memory forever uh, yeah, my first game, I believe it was in 1991, the home opener against Utah State. Um, I went with my dad, and I got sunburnt terribly. Uh, but I did come away with a Keith and McCant autograph. Uh, it was the fourth quarter, and the starters were out of the game. And I took my program over to the fence where the bench was, and Keith and McCant was over there, and I asked him for an autograph, and he signed my signed my program. I still have it somewhere. But yeah, that was that was a memory that uh, that will stick with me. You know, for me, uh, I, I I'm lost on the year because I believe it was '88. I went to see Nebraska play Utah State. That was my first game, and I just remember obviously the crowd. Steve Taylor was the quarterback, um, but then the first real big game I went to um, was the '91 Washington game. Uh, it was number nine versus number four. Washington ended up winning the national championship that year. Um, so my dad and I, my dad just got a new truck that day and, um, it was a Ford F-150 red pickup truck. And we were late to kickoff because he was wrapping up the paperwork at the car dealership. And we, we sped like 90 miles an hour down I-80 to get to Lincoln. There were no cops because the game had started. We walked in mid first quarter, Nebraska lost. Then from 93 on, we had season tickets. So our first year of South stadium, row 88, uh, section 16A seats five and six. Yes, I remember that. Um, were um, was the year they went 11 and one and lost to Florida State. Um, so it was a pretty good year to become a, a season ticket. Although my dad's had those seats since '93, uh, so uh, it's fun to like live back to that stuff because definitely all of us have those memories uh, of when we spent our first time in Memorial Stadium. Well, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. When we come back, uh, we're gonna take your questions in recruiting. You're listening here to the Oscar Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. Now, as we close things up with some recruiting talk, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And in fact, Nate Klaus is going to want me to hire like a bunch of part-time help for him on the weekend of the spring game because it's getting to that point as 
We don't even know how we're going to cover this thing, Nate. There's going to be so many guys coming in a couple weeks. Yeah, I haven't even really wanted to start thinking about how... You're going to have a baby first. Well, yeah, about to have a... My wife's about to have our, our second child here um, no later than April 7th. So. And it was scheduled around the red-white game. <laughs> it was scheduled so that... Husker fans uh, can have their fix of recruiting yeah, still. Yeah, so that I'd still be able to, to go to the spring game, but... Um, but yeah, there, I mean, when you're talking about close to 40 guys or over 40 guys that are going to be on campus that have Nebraska offers, um, I mean, that's incredible. That's, that has never happened before. And that's not just hyperbole. It's not trying to, you know, build this up to, to be, you know, something that it isn't. This is, we've never seen anything like it before. And, and to put it in, into perspective, last year's uh, spring game was arguably the best, you know, one of the best that we had seen from top to bottom. You know, that group of kids that was in was a pretty good group, and 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 arguably the best group that we had seen in the last ten years or so. And uh, but there was only twelve kids with Nebraska offers, and and I think eight or nine of those guys were four star players. Well, like I said, you've got over forty kids with offers that are going to be on campus. Um, you've got 20, I think it's 22 four stars and 19 of which are in the rivals 250 right now. I mean, that is, that's un, unimaginable. I, I would never, I never thought that I would cover a spring game. Well, uh, think about that type of talent. when official visits, Nate, when, uh, I think it's not this year, obviously, but next year would be when official visits, I think could happen in April. How do you do it then? Cause that, that could be, I mean, would would I mean that will be the interesting strategy next year when when this type of dilemma comes up front? Do you burn officials on these guys or um, or do you use unofficials? See, and that's the that's the good question. And what's going to make it tough is okay. Now the staff has proven that they can get these types of talent talented kids on campus without using an official visit on them. And and I think for the most part, if you're if you're able to get a kid a high profile kid on campus for the spring game and, and have them experience that, um, that's going to make them want to come back and take an official in the fall for, for most players. I think because they, if they say, oh, well, geez, this is the environment for a spring practice, then I got to come back for a football game. So uh, I think that that all of a sudden becomes a dilemma. Do you do you continue to try and get these kids on on campus on their own dime, and then ho- hoping that that ensures an official visit later on in the in the game, or do you use that that official visit right out the gate and then hope to kind of hang on um, to that to that player as he go you know continues to take official visits and and sees real games and, and sees you know real atmospheres. Um, it's so hard though to get guys to take visits in the fall because they play Friday nights and. You know, if you don't play a night game and don't have a direct flight, it's almost impossible to get get a guy in. So you might have one or two or maybe three good games to bring kids in, and I think that's what you're, they're going to have to figure out in the yeah. future. Can these can you get in for a game in the fall? Is it feasible? If not, we better use it for the red white game. Yeah, you you have to do a lot of legwork in terms of figuring out when when the player has a bye week and if that bye week lines up with one of your games or can you get that player in for a couple of your night games um you know that you're going to have to to start out the season and and maybe you know maybe a night game in October or something so um it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it but uh one thing we know is that there's going to be more hands on deck uh, to handle a lot of that stuff going forward with the way that they're they're kind of bolstering the recruiting operation so um I'm sure things are going to run you know pretty efficiently you're listening here to the Husker Online Show Sean Callahan Nate Klaus as we discuss recruiting storylines and a lot of new offers a lot of things happen in recruiting uh I guess I want to start with quarterback Nate what what is your read on kind of where all the attention has gone to. We discussed Yankoff's move last week, but did you see any developments uh, since the Colt uh, Yankoff decision to Washington that kind of led you to believe, you know, this is their number one target now going forward? Well, honestly, the only the only real movement that we've seen on the on the quarterback front is that Nebraska has kind of tried to spark things up with an, another Washington quarterback commit, uh, Jacob Sermon, who's a, a Rivals 100 quarterback. 
Uh, was actually rated higher than Colson Yankoff, Nebraska. And Danny Langsdorf offered him about two years ago. Um, there was, there were, I think Nebraska was his first or second offer that he received. Uh, so the Huskers have known about Jacob Sermon for an awful long time, and and it is it's pretty rare to see a team sign two top notch quarterbacks in a class. I mean, it happens, but anytime you've got two, you know. Four, top four-star type of recruits uh, playing a position where you can only get one guy on the field at a time, I, I think that that puts a little doubt in, in some other kids' heads. So Nebraska's tried to make a move with Jacob Sermon. I don't know um, what's going to happen necessarily out of it, but I do think that there's a chance that, that something happens, uh, and, and it could – could possibly be uh, be a spring game visit or a visit uh, this summer or this spring at, at some point, but uh, they're trying to make a move there. But I, f- I do feel like Nebraska is confident enough in the way that they've recruited the position over the past couple of years that they're not going to panic. They're not going to just start throwing out a bunch of offers to to kids, that, um, you know, because they lost a, a player who committed elsewhere. I think they're taking a measured approach here. And I don't think we'll see any new offers really go out until the spring evaluation period when Danny Langsdorf can get out on the road and, and kind of watch some of these guys throw in person and reevaluate his board uh, before he makes a couple new offers. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we discuss developments here on the recruiting trail on Nebraska. Did Nate offer um, a new running back um, this week from Florida? Um, what can you tell us about that new offer? Yeah, Javion uh, Marlowe out of Winter Haven, Florida, about 5'10", 190 pounds. Um, and this is kind of the definition of an underrated, under-the-radar type of... Is he ranked by rivals? No, he's not ranked. Uh, he has two offers, one from Charlotte and one from Vanderbilt. Uh, but he was at the the Orlando three-stripe, three-stripe uh, rivals uh, camp over the weekend and, and was named as one of the top performers at that camp. I think that kind of helped put him on the radar um, and you watch his film his film is fantastic uh, he's got great speed he, he gets north and south real quick uh, he can catch out of the out of the backfield which is something that that we know that Nebraska really likes you know they they seem to target complete running backs guys that can run inside outside can catch the football um, be productive in all in all phases of the game so um, and Javion uh, Marlowe kind of Kind of fits all those all those criteria, uh, but he's very he's very under the radar right now. Nebraska's getting in at a good point, and and a lot of times when you have a kid who only has a couple offers right now, you say, okay, well our grades a concern. Well, I can tell you, Vanderbilt doesn't offer academic risks, so the grades must be in order for this player, and um, and and so you got to feel like this offer is going to at least shake things up in the short term for uh, for Marlowe here. So. Um, I have not been able to, to speak with him yet, but he, it is an interesting offer. You know, you lose T.J. Pledger to the Sooners. Uh, you've got three other running backs that are going to be in for the, the spring game as of now. Could they take two cl- in this class, Nate? Um, you know, one for sure. I, I don't see them taking two. Um, you know, if, if you had – before some attrition, maybe could yeah. Have. If you have some attrition, that it's possible. But before TJ Pledger fell off the board, I, th- I I thought to myself, okay, that might be the exception. You you might you might take a running back and then hold out for a talent like a TJ Pledger possibly, or you might take a Pledger and 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 uh, maybe add a, a different type of running back. You know, maybe a big back uh, like a Graham Roberts, the the brother of Avery Roberts, who's about six one, two hundred and twenty, two hundred and twenty five pounds, who's a big bruiser. You know, add, add uh, you know thunder and lightning type type of thing. But with the the limited numbers in this class, I just don't know if you can go ahead and commit to taking two running backs at this point in the game. Well, it should be interesting. Lots to follow as we're getting closer to that April fifteenth red white game, but. Uh, make sure you stay on Husker Online as we'll continue to have full recruiting coverage to get you ready for that big day. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 